Chapter 1, Part 2 of Commentary in the Gospel of John, Book 9, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Rev. Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Now here again is another question I should be very glad to ask them. Will they allow to Paul the epithet of God-bearer, seeing that Christ dwells in him through the Holy Spirit, or will they be silly enough to deny this? For if they shall say that he is not in truth a God-bearer, this will be sufficient, I think, to persuade all men for the future to reject the nonsense they talk, and to hate them utterly, as men who shrink from saying no absurd thing. And if, avoiding this, they shall turn to the duty of saying the truth, and confess him to be truly a God-bearer, because that Christ dwells in him, Will they not be convicted of very impiously singing that the Son is alien from the essence of God the Father? For Paul is no longer a God-bearer if the Son is not in his nature God. But sometimes they blush and say, for they are also characterized by recklessness and perverseness in argument, that the Son is truly God, yet not in his nature begotten of God. And there is no manner of doubt that any man whatever will exclaim against them on this point too. For how could one who is not in his nature begotten of God be God? Further, we add this. You say that the Son is in his nature God. How then could he who is in his nature God be a God-bearer or a partaker of God? For no one could ever be a partaker of himself. For to what end will God dwell in God, as though in something different? For if the recipient is in nature just the same as the indweller may be conceived to be, what henceforth comes of the need of the participation? And if in the same way that Christ dwelt in Paul, the Father also dwelt in him, will not Christ be a God-bearer in the same way as Paul? and he will not in any other sense possess the quality of being in his nature God, through his having the need of a greater one, namely, the indwelling God. Then again this noble friend of ours goes further in his clever inventions, and by many proofs, as he seems to think them, he attempts to talk people round to his peculiar doctrine for I think it is worth while to go through all his words in detail, and to make a direct investigation of the impious plot that he has laid, in order that he may be clearly convicted of numbering the only begotten among things created. And the wretched man, having buried his impiety towards Christ beneath a heap of cleverly devised conceits, confesses him to be God, and yet, excluding him from the divinity that is truly and naturally his, imagines that he will elude the observation of those who are looking for the real truth. Accordingly, he writes thus, But even as we, while we are said to be in him, have our substance in no way mingled with his, in the same way also the Son, while he is in the Father, has his essence entirely different from the uncreated one. What lamentable audacity! What extravagant language, and how full of folly, or rather of all perversity and madness! 
professing themselves to be wise, they, in reality, became fools. And holding these views concerning the only begotten, they denied the master that bought them, as it is written. For if they say that the word of God is a man and one like ourselves, there remains nothing that prevents them from saying that he is in God in the same way that we are. But if they believe him to be God, and have learnt to worship him as being so by nature, why do they not rather ascribe to him existence in a God-befitting way in his own Father, and also the possession of the Father in himself? For this, I think, would be more fitting for those who are really lovers of God to think and say. And if we find them still cherishing their shamelessness undaunted, and persisting in the words they have uttered, saying that the Father is in the Son in the same manner as may be the case with any one of us, who have been created out of nothing and formed out of the earth by him, why is it not permissible for those who wish to do so to say henceforth with impunity, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? But I think that in this way any one would be condemned, and very properly, on a charge of the most utter folly possible. For not only is it absurd, but such a thing was never said by any of the saints in the inspired scripture. On the other hand, they all concede to him who is in his nature Lord and God, the only begotten, an incomparable excellence above all good men. Yea, verily, they proclaim aloud and say, Who among the sons of God shall be likened unto the Lord? How then is the only begotten any longer like us, if, according to the language of the saints, no one is his equal or his peer? Whereas if he is in God in just the same way that we are, we shall in consequence be compelled to say that the company of the saints are untruthful, and to ascribe to him who is in his nature's son nothing extraordinary which might distinguish him as of a different rank from those who are sons only by adoption. Away with the loathsome idea, man, for we will not be so persuaded, God forbid. On the contrary, following the opinions of the Holy Fathers, we believe that we shall be well-pleasing unto God. But seeing that they brought forward, as a proof of what they think and say, that well-known saying of Paul, that in God we live and move and have our being, arguing that when the Son is said to be in the Father, the expression lacks precision, being adopted from our everyday life. Come and let us subject their statement to the requisite investigation, and so convict them of deliberately misrepresenting the mind of the holy apostle, and most foolishly perverting to their own views what was said in absolute truth. For when the blessed Paul was at Athens, and saw the inhabitants abjectly devoted to polytheistic error, although the people in that city were reputed wise, he attempted to lead them back from their ancient delusion, seeking, by argumentative exhortations to true piety, 
skillfully to convince them of the necessity for the future of knowing one god and one only who bestows on those that have been made by him the power of moving and living and having their being for the creator of all being in his nature life implants life in all infusing into them by an ineffable process the power of his own individuality for in no other way was it possible that things which had received their allotted birth out of nothing should preserve their capability of existence for surely each would have returned to its own nature i mean back again to non-existence unless by the help of its relationship to the self-existent one it had overcome the weakness of its own condition at birth therefore the inspired paul very rightly and properly said by way of showing that god is the life of the universe that in him we live and move and have our being not at all meaning what the heretics invented for themselves in corrupting to suit their own peculiar theories the true signification of the holy scriptures but rather saying exactly what was true and also highly profitable for those who were just being trained up to a knowledge of god and if it is needful to put it even more plainly he has never wished to imply that we who are in our nature men are yet contained in the essence of the father and appear as existing in him but rather that we live and move and have our being in god that is our life consists in him for notice that paul did not say simply and unreservedly we are in god and nothing more this was on account of thy ignorance my good friend and most naturally so but he employed different expressions by way of interpreting the exact meaning of his words after beginning with the statement we live he added thereto the further idea we move and thirdly he brought in the phrase we have our being presenting this also so as to supplement the meaning of the previous words and i think that the correct argument we shall use concerning this matter will very probably put to shame the ungodly heretic but if he insists in his opposition and drags round the words in god to the meaning which pleases himself and no one else we will set forth the common use of the inspired scripture scripture is wont occasionally to use the words in god in the sense of by god for let that man tell us what is the meaning of a certain psalmist's declaration when he says in god let us do valiantly and again addressing god in thee will we push down our enemies for surely no one will suppose that the psalmist means this that he promises to accomplish something valiantly in the essence of god nor even that in that essence we shall discover our own enemies and push them down but he uses the words in god in the sense of by the help of god and again in thee in the sense of by thee and why also did the blessed paul say in his letter to the corinthians i thank my god concerning you all for the grace which was given you in christ jesus 
and again, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. For will any one reasonably maintain that the Spirit-bearer says that the grace which was bestowed on the Corinthians from above was given in the actual essence of Christ, or to quote the authority of Paul in support of heterodoxy? Surely such a one would be evidently talking nonsense. Why, therefore, setting aside the ordinary usage of terms in the sacred scripture, and misrepresenting the intention of the blessed Paul, dost thou say that we are in God, that is, in the essence of the Father? Because thou hearest him say to those in Athens that in him we live and move and have our being. Yes, says the defender of the pernicious opinions, but if it seems to thee right and proper that the words in God should bear and be acknowledged to bear the sense of by God, why dost thou make so much needless ado, and why dost thou bring against us charges of blasphemy when we maintain that the Son was made by the Father? For behold, he himself says, I am in the Father, in the sense of by the father at least according to thy explanation sir and according to the common usage which thou hast just laid before us in thy quotations from the sacred scriptures but i say that it is necessary to defend myself again in reply to this and lay bare their mischievous intentions and pernicious notions for i am astonished that after hearing gladly that it is a usage of the sacred scriptures to use the words in god as equivalent to by god and after approving and accepting the phrase merely for the sake of being able to say something against the glory of the only begotten they have by no means become conscious of the fact that they will again be convicted of talking as foolishly as before although they claim to be wise and acute for if our opponents were the only ones entrusted with the duty of defending from time to time the usage of the inspired scripture in reference to the essence of the only begotten, and of saying that he was made by the Father because of this, that he says he is in God, and we have allowed that in God is to be understood in the sense of by God, then it might have seemed at least probable that their mischievous intention rested on grounds not altogether unreasonable. But if in truth there is nothing which can prevent us also, in our eagerness to refute by a reductio ad absurdum the unsoundness of the sentiments they hold, from carrying on the force of the meaning implied so as to make it refer to the Father himself, and from saying plainly that since Christ also adds this, the Father is in me, we must understand it in the sense of by me, so that as a consequence the Father himself also will be a creature. Surely then they, having relied on arguments so very foolish, will be universally condemned as guilty of unmitigated folly, for just as the Son says that he himself is in the Father, so also he said that the Father is in him. And if they wished the words in the Father 
to be understood in the sense of by the father what is there that prevents us from saying that the words in the son shall be understood in the sense of by the son but we will not suffer ourselves again to be drawn down with them into such an abyss of folly for neither will we say that the son is made by the father nor indeed that he from whom are all things namely god the father was brought into existence by the son but rather referring the usage of the inspired scripture in due proportion to each occasion or person or circumstance we shall thus weave together our theory so as to make it on all essential points faultless and indisputable for with regard to those who out of nothing have been created into being and have been brought into existence by god surely it would be most fitting that we should regard them and speak of them as being in god in the sense of by god but with regard to him who is in his nature son and lord and god and creator of the universe this signification could not be specially or truly suitable the real truth is that he is naturally in the father and in him from the beginning and has him in himself by reason of his showing himself to possess identity of essence and because he is subject to no power that can sever between them and divide them into a diversity of nature and perhaps it might seem to minds more open to conviction that this matter has been sufficiently discussed as indeed i think myself yet our opponent will by no means assent to this but he will meet us again with the objection dishing up again the argument introduced by him at the first that the father is in the son in the same manner as we are in him what then we might say judiciously rebuking the unsoundness and childishness of his thoughts and words dost thou say that the son is in the father even as we are in him be it so what limit to our natural capacity then we shall reply is there that prevents us from using expressions with respect to ourselves as exalted as any of those which christ is seen to have used for he himself seeing that he is in the father and has the father in himself inasmuch as he is thereby both an exact likeness and very image of him uses the expressions he that hath seen me hath seen the father and i and the father are one but with regard to ourselves tell me if we are in him and if we have him in ourselves exactly in the same way that christ himself is in the father and the father in him why do we not extend our necks as much as we can and holding our heads high above those around us say with boldness i am in christ and christ in me he that hath seen me hath seen christ i and christ are one then what would come next no one i think would any longer have any just cause for alarm or any sufficient ground for hesitation to prevent his speaking as follows daring henceforth to say concerning the father himself i and the father are one for if the father is one with the son surely such a man having become an exact image of the exact image 
namely of the Son, will share henceforth in all the Son's relations to the Father himself. Who, therefore, will ever descend to such a depth of madness as to dare to say, He who hath seen me hath seen Christ, I and Christ are one. For if thou attributest to the Son the being in the Father, and the having the Father in himself, in some non-essential manner and not in his nature, and supposest that we in like manner are in Christ, and Christ in us, in the first place the Son will be on the same footing as ourselves, and in the next place there is nothing that prevents us at our pleasure from passing by the Son himself, as though he were an obstacle in our way, and rushing straight on to the Father himself, and claiming that we are so exactly assimilated to him that nothing can be found which distinguishes us from him. For the being said to be one with anything would naturally bear this meaning. Do ye not then see into what a depth of folly and at the same time of impiety their minds have sunk? and of what absurd arguments the wild attack upon us has consisted. What their excuse is, therefore, for saying and upholding such things, and for buoying themselves up on such rotten arguments, I will now again tell. Their one endeavor is to show that the Son is altogether alien and altogether foreign to the essence of the Father. For we shall know that we are speaking the truth in saying this, by reference to the words that follow after and are closely connected with the heretic's previous blasphemies. For he proceeds thus, But even as we, while we are in him, have our substance in no way mingled with his, in the same way also the Son, while he is in the Father, has his essence entirely different from the unbegotten God. What sayest thou, O infatuated one? Hast thou made thy blasphemy against the Son in such plain language? Will any one therefore venture to say that we are trying to heap upon the heads of the God-opposers groundless and false accusations? For see clearly, they attribute to him no superiority whatever over those who have been made of earth and have been by him brought into existence. And although I can scarcely endure the things which the wretched men have dared to say, I will endeavor to prove this, as being in accordance with the scope of divine scripture, namely, that since they deny the Son, they deny at the same time the Father also, and thenceforth are without God and without hope in this world, as it is written. And to prove that we are right in saying this, the God-beloved John will come forward as a trustworthy witness on our side, for he wrote thus, He that denieth the Father and the Son, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He that confesseth the Son hath the Father also. And surely the Spirit-bearer speaketh very rightly, not failing to make his statement conform fittingly to his argument. For because he knows that God the Father is essentially in his nature what he is said to be, namely a father, and that not merely in name but rather in reality, he consequently says that the one is necessarily denied when the other is denied. 
for concurrently in some way or other with one who is really in his nature a father and is so conceived of there must always be the knowledge and manifestation of the offspring that proceedeth from him and one who has been in very truth begotten involves the personal existence of another capable by nature of begetting for no sooner do we recognize a man as a father than we understand him to have begotten offspring and we can by no means consider the idea of an offspring without implying that some father has begotten it thus by either term the other conception is produced in the minds of those who hear it and so any one who denies that god is truly a father makes out the generation of the son to be altogether impossible and similarly any one who does not confess the son to be an offspring must by implication lose all knowledge of the father when therefore as from a sling he hurls at us his unholy arguments and maintains that the son has his essence quite distinct from that of the unbegotten god why does he not openly deny that the son is really a son and if there is not a son the father himself can no longer be conceived of as truly a father for whose father will he be if he has not begotten any offspring what we say is that the son is quite distinct from the person but not from the essence of the father not being alien from him in his nature as forsooth these god opposers think but being possessed of his own person and his own distinct subsistence inasmuch as he is son and not father but if we understand our own mind rightly we would not ourselves say nor would we assent to any of the brethren who say that he is distinct from the father in regard to essence for how can distinction exist in that one thing with reference to which each individual has some special characteristic for peter is peter and not paul and paul is not peter yet they remain without distinction in their nature for both possesses one kind of nature and the individuals who are associated in a uniformity of nature have that same kind without any difference at all for what reason are we saying such things as this we confess that our object is to show that those who hold such blasphemous opinions rob the son of the godhead which is his by nature when they as we have already explained ascribe to him nothing more than a non-essential relationship to god the father else why did they put forward ourselves in illustration of their argument and say even as we have our substance in no way mingled with his while we are in him so also he himself has his essence entirely different from god although he is said to be in him is not their craftiness patent to all men will not any one be right in saying that the man who vomited forth such an abominable statement as this must surely be one of the mockers announced beforehand by the spirit for what does jude the disciple of the saviour write to us in his epistle but ye beloved remember ye the words which have been spoken before by the apostles of our lord jesus christ 
how that they said to you that in the last time there shall come mockers walking after their own ungodly lust these are they who make separations sensual not having the spirit for no man whatsoever who speaks in the holy spirit will say anything against the glory of the only begotten for i maintain that this is just the same as saying jesus is anathema on the other hand sensual and worthless men and those whose heart are devoid of the holy spirit make separations between the father and the son asserting that the latter is as essentially and completely severed from the former as are created things and each of the works made by him and believing him to be in the father only in the same way that we are in him and that they who have dared to write such things have thereby reached the furthest verge of folly let us if you please proceed to show in another way as is quite possible from the divine scripture and let us hasten to prove to our hearers that we are in the son in one way whereas the son is in his own father in another way for one person is not a likeness of another's substance when he conforms himself to that other by the exercise of a virtuous will nor is he on that account said to be in the other but when he is in natural identity with the other and possesses one essence with him and let the most wise john be called in as a witness for us on this point since he says yea and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ how then pray do they say and in what manner do they think fit to assert that we have fellowship with the father and with his son jesus christ for if we are considered to be in them as having our own essence commingled with the divine nature that is with the father and the son and if the expression fellowship does not rather refer to the similarity of our wills how can we have it with the father and with the son when according to these heretics the father and the son are not consubstantial for in that case we must hold opinions worthy of ridicule and say that we have cleft our own nature asunder into two parts and given one half to the father and the other to ourselves and to the son and thus we consider ourselves to be in them or else we must reject such absurdity of statement and say that by doing our best to make our own disposition brightly radiant through the exercise of a virtuous will and through conformity to the divine and ineffable beauty we obtain for ourselves the grace of fellowship with them but shall we therefore say that the son is in the father after a similar manner to this and that he only possesses a non-essential and artificially added fellowship with the one who begat him and yet if so why in the world does he wish through the similarity and indeed identity of their works to lead our mind to feel the necessity of believing without any hesitation that he is himself in the father and that he again has also the father in himself for is it not seen by every one to be perfectly evident and true that wishing the brilliancy of his deeds to be investigated by us 
he shows himself equal in strength to his own father, as if the severance as regards essence and the difference as to nature no longer maintained their position, since both himself and the father glorify themselves by similar achievements. End of chapter 1, part 2